0: Hello, and welcome to the All Better Off Podcast, a gambling addiction recovery podcast brought to you by those with lived experience. If you're here and having difficulties with gambling, please reach out. There are plenty of people
1: on your side. There's a comprehensive list of support services over on our website, www.allbetteroff.co.uk. It's now time to crack
0: on with the pod.
2: Hello everyone and welcome to the All Bets Are Off podcast stateside special. Today I'm joined by co-host Chris Gillam and together we'll be speaking with three guests as we hone in on gambling harm across the pond over in the land of the free. That's right, it's the United States of America. Our first guest today is Jake Fincher from Macon in Georgia, who has kindly agreed to appear on the show and share his story in the hope that it will inspire others that may find themselves in a similar situation and find recovery. Firstly, Jake, I just wish to thank you for coming on to chat to us today.
3: Thanks for having me. Um, I've been listening to you podcast and uh, enjoy it. And I just want to, it's the 12th step, you know, share your message with other compulsive gamblers. So the more I could do, the more I could help. Uh, That's why I'm here.
2: That's brilliant. Brilliant to hear. I guess we should probably start from where it all began for you personally, Jake. Can you describe to us the type of household you grew up, grew up in, and what was your first interaction with gambling, and how did that make you feel?
3: I grew up in a you know a household, mom and dad both there, and uh, we were a big sports family, um, big Georgia uh, University, of Georgia football fans, um, so college team, and we would go to games all the time uh, on the bus trips, and. And that's where my gambling started. My dad, uh, my dad was a compulsive gambler as well. And uh, they had uh, sheets that they would pass out on the bus trips uh, with the with the games and the odds of the uh, for the game. And, and you picked them um, and put. I think it was twenty dollars. You put it in, and whoever had the most correct uh, won. And the first time I did it, I was around six or seven years old, maybe eight. I can't exactly remember the dime, but I won the first time. I picked all the games, and uh, and from then on, it was it was game on. You know, by the time I was ten or eleven, I was running the uh, I was running the bus gambling pool. I was finding the lines in the paper, and uh, and making the sheet and passing them around, collecting money and all that. By you know, ten or eleven years old, so I knew how to gamble very early. Yeah, that's really interesting. So
0: you're doing that stuff really, really young, and obviously around your family, which is you know a really interesting thing to hear. Um, so I suppose would you say there was a sense of trying to emulate your father in any way whatsoever? Or you know, possibly almost as if you were proving that you were kind of more grown up, even though you were still a child.
3: Yeah, I think it was. I think uh just being in that crowd and, and uh being a part of the gambling scene. My dad did it, all his friends, you know, gambled and the people, you know, it it just it was second nature to me. Um to gamble. Uh, we played cards. We played, you know, bri- I, I learned how to play the game Bridge. It's a card game, which is kind of sophisticated card game uh, pretty early on in life. And we didn't gamble at that, but that's just cards. You know, I was playing poker at 12, 13 years old. And and it was just, it, I guess it was to fit in with my dad. Uh, yeah, I didn't know it was wrong. Uh, I didn't see any of the bad side of it. Uh, you know, he hid that from us. But uh, it started i started to see it later on uh he got caught uh it's not it's not it wasn't legal here to do you know to bet on uh sports unless you were in vegas and then you had to have a a bookie to do it he got caught uh gambling on the telephone and had to testify in court and and so i did see the bad side of it but it was a slap on the wrist type thing it wasn't i didn't you know it never hurt him i didn't see financially it never hurt him with my mom that i saw so uh you know so i kept doing it and it got worse
0: it's interesting because you like you like you say you saw some consequences but they weren't big consequences what you really had was such a, a a normalized environment where gambling was happening all the time and even when you weren't gambling you were doing things like playing cards which essentially can then become a gambling activity so that's really really interesting Jake um fast forward a little bit to your college years Jake um, so to the later teenage years into your early 20s, what was your gambling activity like then? Um, what were you doing gambling-wise and your gambling activities, did they progress in any way?
3: Oh, yeah. Um, late teens, early 20s, by the time I went to college, I had my own bookies that I would bet with. And by the time I got in college, I thought it would be a great idea to to be a bookie myself. And a bookie is the one who takes the bets, pays out, uh, you know, and you win if somebody loses, they lose the amount they put up plus 10% and bookies, you know, usually the house usually wins. And so I won a lot of money being a bookie, but uh, I lost a lot of friends because, you know, friends bet with you and they don't want to pay you. And then you have to go try to collect it. And so it wasn't as fun. I didn't get the thrill out of it. I got the money, but I didn't get the thrill out of it. And so I started back gambling myself and, and around that same time is when I really started playing a lot of poker uh, to a lot of hold Hold on. it started to get big and and uh I bought a house ha- I didn't do well in college and I came back to work for the family and I bought a house and uh the first year of buying a house I'd already let it go into foreclosure not paying uh house payments strictly because I was uh busy paying uh, gambling debts instead of paying the you know the regular bills. I was taught a couple of things in life. One, you never cheat on the golf course. And two, you always pay your gambling debts. Doesn't help you in life. It helps you with people, but it doesn't help you in life. You know, So um, I would pay my gambling debts before I would pay my personal debts. And I almost lost the house, but got that saved for me by my parents. And and so, but yeah, it, that was when I started to uh, really take it to the next level. It uh, was early 20s, that age.
2: Yeah. And uh, yeah, it sounds like you, you you grew up the old school way in that sense. I I was one that also always paid knew to pay my gambling debts, otherwise it could land me in a lot of trouble. Not only a uh, reputation uh, from a reputation perspective, but certainly on a on a, on a maybe on a violent scale. Um, and I, I guess I guess over here in the UK, Jake, we we get this picture painted of what the Southern states are, are like over in the US, and it tends to be at least uh, painted as this tough sort of wild area in which things are sorted out and what you might describe similar to what we were saying a moment ago as traditional methods it sounds like you might have maybe uh, got yourself into into some pretty hair-raising situations what with being a bookie and during private games I know we discussed um off-air and so forth what was the craziest thing or some of the craziest things that you saw from this particular time
3: well I was also I'm also a recovering alcoholic too. I'm a compulsive gambler and a recovering alcoholic. And in between those, uh, I was kidnapped at gunpoint, um, walking out of a bar. I had a gun put to my head and put in a car and, uh, was driven for about 10, 15 miles and jumped out of a moving car, uh, riding down the road and ran like hell inside a gas station to get help. Um, and then, uh, you know, (sighs) people didn't believe me even by that time that that even happened to me. You know, my lies and, and my actions, I was wild and crazy and drank all the time. And, you know, I was the fun guy and, and people didn't believe me. And it took them seeing video of me running into a gas station, screaming my head off, uh, for anybody to actually believe it happened. They thought it was, I was making something up. I'd gotten somewhere where I didn't, you know, didn't want to be. And, uh, And so that's probably the craziest thing that's happened to me. You know, being kidnapped at gunpoint. Um, You know, there's a lot of stuff that I could do. You know, that I could tell that'll take up way too much time. We could do probably five, ten podcasts on it. But, uh, but that's probably the craziest. Right
2: there so I mean you, you you're in good company here what with the cross addiction because Chris himself he also had a an addiction to alcohol and also uh, gambling as well but I think it's fair to say that Chris never got held up at, at gunpoint is it is it Chris that you never got hold held up at gunpoint
0: unfortunately not no that would be a story for me to tell wouldn't it?
3: <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to get a t-shirt I wanted to get a t-shirt made with the story because I had to tell it so many times that I just wanted to get a t-shirt made up that read what it was but now.
2: Sounds pretty crazy. Sounds pretty crazy. I mean, I wanted to go back to the the poker side of things. Now, obviously, um, Chris Moneymaker, as we all know, won the the World Series of Poker back in 2003. And um, I guess that you could say that that kickstarted the poker revolution, not not just over in the States, but worldwide. Over here, it it did exactly the same. And um, I guess... Um, just as we all are, we're, we're all ordinary blokes and, you know, we saw him qualifying from a, from a satellite for 80 odd dollars and, you know, then defeat in a field of 839. It's now in the thousands. That's how much it's, it's grown since then. And he, he won like 2.5 million, I think, or, or something like that off the top of my head. Now, did this story have any bearing on you at all in your association with poker? And, you know, were, were you ever trying to perhaps emulate that? Let's say
3: drastically. Um, that's when, um, uh... The online poker kicked off was uh, was Chris MoneyMaker. You know, Party Poker became huge over here. I don't know about over where y'all are, but it became really uh, a big a big deal over in the states and um and I'd uh I'd gotten married by the point by that time and um had a child and uh, we had moved down to her hometown and I opened up my own restaurant down there and when that I, when I found party poker, I stay that's when I started uh playing poker probably twelve to fourteen hours a day. I would use my money, I would use our money I would use the business money I would use the, any kind of money I could find. I would try to put it in the account and uh you know and get in those tournaments and play them you know I won a couple of times and but I never collected i could i could honestly say that um I never collected a dime off of a gambling website, an online gambling website In my 36 years of gambling, I never collected a single penny off of an online gambling website because, you know, I just kept wanting to play and, uh, you know, I could hide it from anybody. Uh, my, my ex-wife did not know that I was gambling. Uh, the people at work didn't know I was gambling, but I was back there playing poker in the back while the restaurant started failing. Uh, so all that made me do was get, you know, more worried. And the only way I thought I could save it was to hit a big tournament, you know, and so I would gamble more. And then finally one day I, I um, just had to close up the restaurant. I couldn't do it anymore. There wasn't enough money. I couldn't go find any more money. The loans had been locked up and all that. So, yes, Party Poker and Chris Moneymaker really got my – It got me on the online gambling big time. And, it, and it's just now starting to two years and two and a half years – Now is uh that's when I finally got off of it. So
0: I can totally relate to what you're saying there, Jake. It's um it's quite incredible, isn't it? You've you've got all that stuff going on. You're a busy guy, you know. You've got your you had your business, and you know that's the kind of thing that you'd be you'd normally be concentrating on. And you know you'd be running that business. You're at the back. You're gambling. You're gambling. It's online. It's 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 poker. And like you said, you can keep entering the big money tournaments. One time you'll win, and everything will be okay. It didn't happen. The money ran out. I get that. It's, it's absolutely crazy. And I guess coming on to that as well, you know, I know before recording, uh, you had an off-air discussion with Ryan. And obviously you had this very hectic life, as we've just discussed. Um, and You're trying to hide your addiction to gambling. Uh, but also, are we right in thinking that most people thought your money problems stemmed from the alcohol problem that you've mentioned already, as opposed to your gambling?
3: Yes, uh, I would say uh, most anybody around me knew I was an alcoholic. Uh, I went out to, I didn't drink alone. I was one of those that liked to be around people when I drank. So I went out every night after work, I would go to bars or either be around a bunch of friends and I drank and drank and drank and everybody thought, you know, that it's his alcoholism. Um, It seems like alcoholism is accepted, you know, as a, as a problem, as a disease uh, more so than compulsive gambling. But uh, I stopped drinking in 2013 well, my biggest issues didn't really happen until after 2000. I mean, the worst parts of my gambling career didn't happen until after that. Cause I just put everything, uh, all my addiction. I didn't go to AA. I didn't do 12 steps. I just, uh, did white knuckling. It went to work. But when I got home, uh, online gambling was still there. The phone, the uh, football games and baseball games, all that was still there. And so I just focused a hundred percent on gambling and, And that's when my life really started to, uh, just really crumble. I, um, I got divorced, uh, my kids, you know, I was not, I have two daughters and I would do things to not see them or I, I couldn't pay for trips and those kind of things. And and I was gonna, uh, you know, I figured out I was, I was worth more dead than alive. And, uh, I think I talked about this with, uh, Ryan, that uh, I came up with a plan to kill myself cause I have a pretty good insurance policy. And I thought that would take care of everything. You know, people would look at it as, you know, he's struggling with alcoholism and, and you know, this and that, he might've been drunk, had an accident. And, um, and so I was going to drive off a bridge and kill myself, but, uh, God had a different idea for me. Um, so, uh, a friend of mine, five minutes before I was going to drive over that bridge called me out of the blue and, uh, we started talking and laughing and talking about old times, and next thing you know, I'm 45 minutes up the road and passed over the bridge, and and kept on <clears throat> kept on driving and kept on living. But it still took me a little while longer to to wake up. But but yeah, most of it was blamed by other people on alcoholism than uh, than compulsive gambling. I just think it's more accepted.
2: Absolutely, and I, I was actually going to touch upon your, your how 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 you were with your mental health there, but and and also touch about touch upon your lowest moment because it is something that you obviously disclosed in a, in a in a, a, re, a pre recording, let's say, discussion that we had together. Um, so uh, so you, you've answered that that question. Um, what I wanted to do was fast forward a little bit here, um, uh, if you don't mind, uh, Jake, and uh, talk about the time that you um, you know you met. Uh, christy you know um you've talked about the lowest moment and when you contemplate taking your own life and and indeed on the flip side to that you know how you met your current partner which is obviously probably um you know certainly what i gauge from our discussion a a real high moment christy and and just she how she has helped you
3: yes uh i met christy about well almost five years ago and uh she won't mind me saying that she's been in aa for uh 21 years now and uh for the first what, two what and a half years, I was in act- active addiction with gambling, and she had no clue of my lifestyle. She had no clue that I gambled like I did. She had no clue the lies and everything that I told her. And uh, and May of 2018, I'd had some DUIs from years past from, uh, you know, uh, back in 2009 and 10. I had two DUIs, and I never got them taken care of. I never did anything about it. And I'm just driving around town, you know, thinking nothing's going on. I guess they're gone. Nobody's ever said anything to me about them. And I, I get pulled over and, uh, wind up having to go to jail and I get locked up and, uh, I call Christy and tell her what's going on. And, and, uh, and that's when, um, I'm lucky she was in my life. Um, When I was in jail, she had my iPad, she had my phone and, uh, and all my information, all my secrets, all my lies were on that phone and that iPad, my credit card statements, the text messages to the wrong people, you know, uh, all these things were in there and she did the research and she figured out, you know, yes, I was an alcoholic, but I'm also a compulsive gambler. And, uh, and I've got to do something, you know, those 15 days in jail, I was, I was terrified of everything coming out, and, uh you know, I got kind of lucky, I guess, because uh, I got caught, I didn't have to tell anybody everything, you know, it all came out on, on, on their own, instead of uh, me having to open my mouth and do it, but everything was exposed, and, and I had to, uh the day I got out, she had done the research and found a, a Gamblers Anonymous meeting. And, uh, and I, you know, I thought she'd be happy to see me, um, when I got out and she wasn't, she said, I'm going to take you home and get you a shower and everything. But if you want to stay here, you're going to a Gamers Anonymous meeting. tonight." I, I'm like, uh, okay, I'll do it. You know, but I didn't, I didn't plan on like really taking it serious. I was going to go and keep her happy and do whatever I had to do to stay in the house, but I was still going to, you know, I was going to gamble, you know, and, uh, but that day I walked in that meeting it changed my life. You know, I heard some stories and, and, uh, we'll get into that, but it was that she, she's the reason I'm still here. I think about these two years I was in active addiction. Uh, I probably wouldn't be here right now. I would either be in jail or I would be dead, um, somewhere. So I'm lucky.
0: I love hearing that, Jake, the fact that you met Christy. You know, she's she was in a fellowship, she was in AA and she stumbled across a man who needed help and uh, you probably didn't realise it at the time and that's, it's just wonderful. That time when you were, those 15 days when you were in prison, um, you know, you're scared in there and think you'll get out and you probably would have gone straight back to it if it wasn't for her and there she was. If you're staying here, you're going to GA. And you hear that a lot, you know, people don't always go because they want to walk through the door, but when they get in, they hear something and it makes them want to come back. And yeah, you know, that's, that's what it is for me. So lastly, you know, being a big advocate of GA myself, Gamblers Anonymous is where I started my recovery. Um, you know, I'd really appreciate if you could share your recovery story with us right now, um, and tell us how that fellowship's played a key role in your recovery and, you know, any advice you'd give to others.
3: Yes. The, uh, I walked into a Gamblers Anonymous meeting May 17th, 2018. And, um, and I heard stories. It was a new member meeting. And if you've ever been to a Anonymous member meeting, uh, a new member meeting is when uh, others share their story uh, of their gambling history and their past and their recovery. You read all the, the yellow combo book or I think there's an orange combo book in Europe. And uh, and then they put you on the spot and they ask you 20 questions. And then they tell you to tell you their story, you know, the story, and then they offer you advice. And while people are sharing their story in that meeting, something clicked in my head and said, you know, I could open up in here. I could talk to people in here. They, they've got the same thing going on I do. And that was the first time I ever talked about actually having a gambling problem. I've always called myself a degenerate gambler. You know, that's like a proud term kind of, you know, yeah, I'm a degenerate gambler. I'll gamble on anything. But but that was the first time I ever realized I was a like, compulsive gambler and and i could get help and, I, and so i talked in there about it and uh, i realized i was in the right place and, and i went to a meeting uh the following monday that was a thursday night i went to a meeting the following monday and the same thing it was kind of another new member meeting it was a different place and they wanted to get to know me so it's the same thing and i met some people in there and uh and they're still there today it's uh it's become a program of hope um you could uh like I said, you could, uh, I think counseling and therapy and all that is good, but when you can actually talk to somebody that's been there and done that, and you could see success and you could see, you know, firsthand experiences that that this works, it's a lot, to me, it's a lot more powerful than talking to a doctor or a counselor. You know, I know teach their own, but for me, I'm one of those visual type people that, that what I see works and, uh, and GA works. If you work it, you know, if you follow those guidelines on there's page 17 in the yellow combo book, there's eight guidelines on that page. And if you follow those, you know, that, that stuff, then you'll experience recovery. And I, that's what I'm doing. You know, now I'm chairing and hosting, uh, three meetings a week on zoom. I do a Monday night and Thursday night and a, Saturday morning meeting that is our home groups, um, ever since COVID happened. I do a recovery road online meeting on Wednesday nights, and that's a fellowship that's, uh, it's, it's not a GA base, but it's a 12 step base. And, uh, but I, I, I tend to make it when I do my meeting is GA, uh, material. And so, uh, to me, I know it works, uh, because it's working for me and it's working and I see it work for other people. And so, you know, to each their own, but, I'm a little biased towards Gamers Anonymous. I I just see the program working. And there's, you know, there's a lot of recovery time in those meetings. So it's fabulous.
0: There certainly is, Jake. And it is fabulous. And I can see that it's doing you the world of good. You know, it's absolutely wonderful. Those things you're doing, you know, you're doing the online meetings now. You're chairing those. It's wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful to get there from where you've been. And you know what? I'm on the other side of the pond. I went in a GA room and I had exactly the same experience as you and that's the wonderful thing. We do this around the world, Um, and during COVID, you know, I've been on meetings with loads of Americans, Canadians, Australians. It's been absolutely fantastic. We're sharing our stories together, and we're all helping each other. Um, Jay's a wonderful fellowship in my mind, and I'm I'm so glad it's helping helping you out, Jake. And, you know, it's been a real pleasure having you on the show today with us. Uh, We can't thank you enough for sharing your story. Um, And after this short interlude, we'll be speaking with Brian Hatch from the All In podcast. So please make sure you stick around for that. We've now been joined by Brian Hatch all the way from over in Connecticut. For those that may not be aware, Brian hosts the All In, the Addicted Gamblers podcast along Jeff Wiseman. Firstly, Brian, great to have you on the show with us today.
4: Oh, it's great to be here. Thank you so much, guys.
0: Honestly, great to have you on, mate. Uh, so should we start back where it all began for you in your younger days when you were residing over in Michigan? How did you get into gambling? You know, What was your vice? What were your vices, so to speak? Um and did
4: it get in the way of your education at all? Yeah, sure. Uh, so I, I went to Eastern Michigan University right out of high school. Uh, and prior to going, I had gambled, you know, with my grandparents playing cards, with my parents playing cards. Um, I once lost, I don't know, 20 straight games of ping pong with my friend that we had been double or nothing. So I ended up owing him several thousand. And that was the first time I realized, you know, there's some compulsivity into in this that later on, I it came back to haunt me. Um, so I was in college and some friends. I was dating this girl who went to Michigan State. So to give you a sense of the geography, directly north of where I went to college, an hour and a half was Michigan State, and directly north of that, an hour and a half was Central Michigan University. So I would drive up to Michigan State to see my girlfriend, and at one of those times, a friend of mine said, hey, let's go up to the casino that's up in the same town as Central Michigan University, Soaring Eagle Casino. And we played blackjack. I had never played, this was fun. We were, I was there with three or four friends, so we were all at a table, made it a lot of fun. Realized how much I liked it. I won that, you know, I blackjacked that night, won 150 bucks or something. Decided that this was kind of fun. I want to come back. Couldn't get any friends to go with me. Went by myself. So I drove the two and a half hours up, three hours up from my college to go. Started visiting my girlfriend and I would leave her dorm room at 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night instead of staying the night and drive up to the casino and I would gamble all night. And then about four o'clock, five o'clock in the morning, drive all the way back down to my dorm room and... Uh, Parked my car in a restricted zone because it was so early and I had to go to work at 8 a.m I'm living in a dorm. I'm talking about going to work. I never went to class I was skipping classes because I was sleeping through them because I was gambling all night And this behavior continued and continued Um, Around the time of the age of 19 Some friends of mine in the dorm wanted to go just over the border into Canada Because you could get into a casino at 19 in Canada So we did that. That opened a new door for me I started going there Uh, Cut to the end of my year in college and they asked me politely to leave because I was not meeting the standards required by the grading system there. Uh, So I I left and went back home to my parents for the summer and then uh, decided to go to community college, but also take classes in downtown Detroit in um, improv and and comedy writing. That was something I wanted to get into. And so going downtown Detroit, I'm literally 15 minutes from the casino in Canada. And so I started going there after these classes that I was taking. And it just, you know, kept going and going. And then on days off, I would drive all the way to Soaring Eagle. And at the same time, I'm working two jobs still, um, just because I I wasn't taking a lot of classes. And so from that point on, you know, that's what I was doing.
2: You were obviously quite young there, uh, Brian, Um, obviously, uh, you know, your your college days and such. And, um, you know, off air, we had a discussion and I recall you talking about your early gambling days in which you said, and I quote, oh, you know, I thought I was too young for it to be a problem. Although you you sort of alluded to it there when we talk about the sort of compulsion. So you sort of seem to, to, to understand it. Now, over here in the UK, we're starting to see more youngsters opening up about their gambling from a much earlier age, the likes of Jamie Smith, who's been on the podcast and a few others I've seen floating about, social media and that uh, of, of DM me even. Uh, what's the consensus over in the United States? Are you noticing a younger crowd coming through and talking about gambling at all as yet? Uh,
4: I, I don't. I mean, I, I get on the Reddit thread every now and then, the problem gambling Reddit thread, and I see young people on there but overall here, I don't see any. I mean, there's not a giant contingent. It's is nothing like it is over there. I mean, if you look at Gambling Addiction Twitter, it's the UK has so many people talking about it, whereas here we have a few people talking about it, but not really. So I don't see a lot of young people. Speaking for myself and what I went through, you know, at 18, I called whatever the 800 number was at the time to get information on Gambling Addiction. And I decided that I would just sort of lie to make myself feel better and say I was writing a paper on it. So I did that and I got the 20 questions that you get asked and I went through them and I was like, boy, I have a gambling problem. But my immediate thought was, and I don't know if it was just wishful thinking on my part, but my immediate thought was, I don't have a gambling problem. I'm too young for this, right? I can't already, I just got here. I just you know, started gambling. I can't already have a problem. That's ridiculous. So I just continued to do it. Um, but I don't see too many uh, young people coming out. Every now and then, I get an email from somebody, but honestly, you know, most of the emails that I get are from people who are later in life. I can relate to that, mate. I really, really can, Brian. I mean,
0: more so with my alcoholism, actually, because when I was, you know, that started for me very young. So when I'm in my early twenties and I, I realize I'm drinking too much and I've got this problem. I'm not going to stop, man. I'm not going to stop. I'm too young to stop. And and I, to be honest, when I stopped at 35, I still felt like that. But the difference was my liver was falling apart, and I realized there was there was no way back. And the gambling had come on at that point as well. And you know, it was it was stop or or die, mate. To be honest. So, um, so yeah, being
4: cross addicted is a hard. Cross, it's a hard one, man. I don't know how you do that. It's hard,
0: but do you know what? I I kind of feel like I've got even more, even more of a network to help me out now. So even though it's hard. In the grand scheme of things, in a sense, it's a, it's a bit easier, I think, in some ways. So I'm really grateful for it, to be honest. And But one of the things I wanted to touch on was that over here in the UK, um, in some ways, um, it seems a little simpler. Um, you know, the age restriction here, unless it's the national lottery, which is 16, everything else is 18 years of age before you can gamble. Um, I mean, I know Ryan was doing it before, to be honest, at about the age of 17 in the bookies. But, Brian, for you over in the States, you actually have to put a real effort in to gamble, um, seeing as online was illegal and still is in some states today. And in certain places, you have to be 21 to gamble. Um, I think this really does go to show that once you're hooked, it can be really difficult to wriggle off of that line.
4: So I grew up in Michigan, and in Michigan there's tribal casinos and then there's public casinos. And the public casinos are the three downtown Detroit casinos. Those you have to be 21 to get into. The tribal casinos you can be 18, and that's why I was going up to Soaring Eagle, traveling two and a half hours, because that was the one that was around back then that I could get into. Um, having to be 21 makes it a little harder. you got to wait a few more years, so not as many people are going to go to that trouble. Uh, what we're seeing now is... They just legalized online gambling and sports betting in Michigan. And so soon everybody will have access at any point. Um, they say there'll be some uh, protections in place to, you know, confirm your identity. I don't know what that means online. Uh, we don't have too much online gambling going on right now. And I never did it. It was, wasn't around. It was, you know, offshore poker sites were around, but I didn't play that. So I can't speak to that. But it's, it's definitely going to be a lot easier for people to gamble now in the United States.
2: That's interesting. I mean, on a personal level, what was your, um, uh, you, you described earlier one where you would sort of kind of go across to Canada and, you know, you'd cross borders, etc. What was the sort of lengthier sort of periods of time that you would travel? I,
4: you know, I went through periods where I would stop gambling and just find another interest. Like I said, the improv and the comedy and that sort of took over. That took over my free time. And if I had that to do in my free time, I didn't feel like I had to gamble. Gambling was always sort of this let me win and then I'm just gonna throw my life off and I'm gonna go travel and I'm gonna go, you know, it was that fantasy world. Um, but so, you know, up until the age of 22, 23, I didn't go to the Detroit casinos. And then I started to go because, you know, you go the first time and you realize, oh, all right, let me check this out. Let me see how this is. Um, I would go to the, the Detroit Casino Motor City that I thought was, I felt was the dirtiest. So that way I wouldn't run into any family or friends there just in case. Um, and then... Around the age of 22, 23, I decided I want to go back into school. So I went to my grandfather. I said, hey, I'm going to go back into school. Would you co-sign this loan for me? And he said, sure, of course. Um, I had just been fired from my job that I'd had for several years. Eventually, I go back to that job, but I was fired at the time for showing up late because I was out late gambling. And so when he volunteered to co-sign my loan, I was very touched and I took it very seriously. And then Right as he was reading the fine print, after he had co-signed it, after I had received the money, he said, this is ridiculous. Send the check back. I'll give you the money and you can just pay me back with 0%. And I said, what a great idea. But did I send that check back? No, I did not send that check back. And so I took his $4,000 along with the $4,000 student loan and I gambled it all away. I signed up for classes, but classes didn't cost that much. It was a couple of classes, maybe $1,300. So maybe I gambled $6,700 away. And he then, before I could tell him, he passed away. And so there was tremendous guilt involved with that during my 20s that, you know, I've since, I've, I've come to terms with it. I I told my aunt and my mom, both his daughters, about it. So I'm I'm okay to live with that now. But at the time, it was very troubling for me. And in fact, it gave me, when I walked out and I lost that money, basically in about two nights, I had a panic attack walking out of the casino and I went to the hospital because I called my mom and I sort of, it was one of those if I, if I have harm being done to me, they're not gonna be mad at me for what I did. And that's, that's messed up thinking. Luckily, that's as far as thinking like that went. I know other people aren't so lucky in that regard, but I was, I was lucky enough to take that example and run with it. But my roommate at the time, Chris, uh, I took him to the casino with me and he knew I went from time to time, but he didn't really pay attention or care that much. And one night we were, we were there I took his debit card because we had, I had lost and he had lost, you know, he was, a. will bet 20 bucks and that's my night. And I was like, that's insane. So he was drinking and I took his debit card. I said, I can win our money back. Let me just borrow your debit card, get a little bit more off. And he said, okay, you know, he was drunk, gave it to me. I lost his money. Uh, We're leaving the casino and nobody had ever, ever said this to me. He looked at me and he said, you have a gambling problem. And that's the first time anyone said that to me. That's the first time anybody had pointed that out other than, you know, what I was thinking in my head. And so I decided that week that I would go to a Gamblers Anonymous meeting. And so I did go to a meeting. There were three people in that meeting, all of whom were 20 years older than me. Um, I was uncomfortable, I was timid, and I did not go back to a second meeting for another year and a half until I was 26 years old. And then at that point, I had made it two and a half years.
0: That's really interesting, uh, Brian. And do you know what? It's funny, because over here, I've heard that. I've heard that quite a lot. Of people turn up and they feel too young. A lot of people are a lot older in the gamblers and honors rooms. And I'm really lucky, actually, because not that I'm really young, but in the room that I'm in, there are a lot of youngsters. And it's really, really great, because once they come through the door... Some of them are sticking, they're staying. But, you know, I can imagine when people are just 20, 30, 40 years older than you, it's quite difficult when you're really, really young to think that maybe you belong. Um, so, you know, I'm really thankful that in my room we do have a lot of youngsters. It's really helpful. Um, am I right in thinking at the age of 29 it was that you moved back in with your parents? I'm interested to know how did that feel? Um, and was it like you gone full circle, you know? Um, and also, did you stay gamble free for a little while at that point?
4: So, I I went in at 26. I was two and a half years gamble free. I got complacent, as one of the topics that are always covered in meetings. And I decided I wouldn't go to a meeting for a few weeks, gambled, stayed away for another six months, went back into GA. I was in GA at the time. um, But, and I went back and forth on this for a few years. I, because I had gambled, I was working three jobs. So, I was working 96 hours a week. And in that small window of time on a Sunday night, I went out with some coworkers. And I drank and I left the bar and I flipped a car over and I was thrown out of the car and it was midnight and the police came and I realized like, the, I'm done. This is it for me. So I went through the process of, of I actually went to the hospital. I, didn't, I actually didn't go to jail. Um, but in doing that, I had to meet with a counselor. And the counselor said, boy, you don't have a drinking problem. And I said, yeah, I know. She said, you have a gambling problem. And I said, yeah, I know. And so I, I was mandated to go to counseling for, I think, 12 to 15 weeks and everything else that happened—that happens when you drink and drive. Um, but in doing that, it was time to move home and reset my life. And my parents had retired at this point. So they were living in an apartment. So I had to move into my parents' apartment, which at 29, nine it's embarrassing. You don't feel good. You're talking to your friends who you graduated with, graduated high school with, these guys I still talk to. And they all are starting families and getting married and I'm moving back in with mom and dad. Luckily my parents were beautiful people and, and very nice. Uh, but in, in doing that and moving back with my parents, one day I was at work, working back at the job that I got fired from, they rehired me one day. And uh, I got a call and my dad was in the hospital. I went up to the hospital and my dad passed away. Uh, right as I got in there, I you know there he was, they were doing CPR. Uh, he had had an aortic dissection. And so I was lost that day and I didn't know, but I knew, I didn't know what to do, but I knew where my mind was gonna go. It was gonna go to that instant relief of what makes me feel good. So I went to a GA meeting that night. On the day my dad died, I looked at my mom and I said, I gotta go to a meeting. And in doing that, I think I I was able to table what eventually was gonna happen. And sadly it did, is that um, yes, I, I did gamble because my dad died to make me feel better, but I've come to realize I think I use it as, a, as an excuse to gamble. Like, well, no one's going to tell me that I'm doing the wrong thing if I'm, my dad died. So I, I started what would end up being about a year-long relapse. Uh, I took out some really awful loans, those really high percentage loans that you do. And in this whole time, I had been taking out payday loans you know, to gamble with and hopefully win and pay back and that whole rigmarole. Uh, but along that, along that way, my mom one day just said, it's sad here. Um, and mind you, she didn't know. She knew I had gambled a little bit because I told her, but she didn't know the extent. And then she said, it's sad here. Why don't you go follow your dreams that you want to follow? At this point, I'm a 31 year old guy living with my mom. My dad just died. She said, why don't you move to California and see if you can make anything happen? So I did, but I stopped at casinos on the way. I stopped in Las Vegas on the way, and then when I moved to California, the first thing I did was find a GA meeting, and I went to, and I gave my new date, Uh, but a couple, three, four, five months later, I just decided I wanted to gamble again, and so I went to Vegas. I was driving the four and a half hours, went there for four or five times, the fifth time being just the worst that's ever happened to me, and because of that time, and That moment, I called my friend Chris, who had originally told me that I had a gambling problem, and I said, listen, I messed up again. It's really bad this time, really, really bad. He did everything in his power to help me, uh, but you know what can he do from across the country? And I ended up having to talk to a lawyer about filing bankruptcy, but that was several months down the way. In the immediate, I needed to stop gambling. I needed to stop and I had stopped previous, so I didn't know how I'm supposed to stop. I'm on my own in California. I don't know what's gonna keep me indoors. California had medical marijuana at the time, and I decided that I would try that in order to stay inside and occupy my brain. Because just staying inside wasn't enough. I needed to occupy my brain, because otherwise I'd go crazy, and I just wanted to gamble. So I used medical marijuana for six months to just stay inside and not worry about anything. I went to work, I came home, and I did that all day. And then I went to bed and repeat. And that's what took me up until the podcast started.
2: Brilliant, thanks uh, thanks for your story there Brian and sorry obviously to hear about your father I just want to point out the All Bets Are Off podcast uh, does not condone drug use um, we've now got to go for a, for a short break but afterwards we'll be continuing our chat with Brian getting his views on how gambling is starting to shape up over in the States and the possible fallings out from that and we'll also find out a lot more about the All In podcast too we'll be back shortly
1: Thank you for taking the time to listen to us today The All Bets Are Off podcast is brought to you in association with Gamban. Gamban is software you can install on all of your devices to stop yourself from online gambling. Several of the team behind Gamban have experienced their own problems with gambling, which led to the creation of the product. It's now been shown to be the most effective blocking software for blocking online gambling and a useful tool to help with recovery. Visit gamban.com for a seven-day free trial. Now, though, it's time to get back into the pod.
2: Welcome back to the All Bets are Off podcast, in which we're still speaking with Brian Hatch from the All In, the, the Addicted Gamblers podcast. Before the break, we were speaking about your gambling addiction story, Brian, and we're pleased to say that you've been free of gambling since July 2014. Um Could you tell us um, about the podcast and how your later relationship uh, developed with Jeff and uh, yeah, just basically how it all started out really.
4: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, But before I do, I just want to mention my story about smoking marijuana in order to stop gambling. I would not recommend that to anybody. I just want you to know that that is what I did and I like to be honest and so just want to get that in the clear. So after that ended in uh, July, 2014, obviously I'd moved to California and I liked entertainment um, and I just was always interested in podcasts so I thought, oh boy, this would be an interesting idea. Let me see if anyone's doing a podcast on gambling addiction, first of all. So I looked and I didn't find one, didn't see anything. I found a lot of gambling podcasts, but nothing about gambling addiction. And then uh, my same friend, Chris, I said, hey man, would you just mind talking to me about gambling once a week? And I could sort of just use you as a a clinician to talk to. And he said, yeah, great. So we started the podcast in uh, January of 2015. We started the podcast and it was just me telling my story for a series of episodes um you know at the time i was going through the bankruptcy process so i couldn't talk about that yet until it was done because there are certain rules involved can't have any gambling on your record for a year and so we sort of went week by week with my story eventually that sort of led into a few other people we knew about coming on and talking people i'd shared a ga room with coming on and telling their story and then there were some breaks involved in the podcast. You know, time goes by, life goes on. Um, I ended up moving across the country and sleeping on Chris's couch. I left California, slept on Chris's couch, and was continuing to do the podcast. But Chris wasn't really joining me. I was doing them by myself. But it just felt sort of off to do it alone. Uh, I, I, you know, I can talk for a little while, but I can't fill an hour by myself. And one day, I got this uh, email from Jeff Wasserman and jeff said hey you know i listen to your podcast would you mind if i shared my story and that's what we need to keep going so jeff shared his story jeff was a problem gambler he's 65 now uh, at the time when he stopped gambling he was 59 or 60 and he was a lawyer and he shared this story for two episodes and probably a couple weeks later we emailed back and forth several times and he had expressed interest, and I had expressed interest in continuing this relationship. And so he came on and joined me as my co-host, and that really, I think, propelled the podcast to somewhere where better. It, it just it got better. Not that what Chris and I were doing wasn't good, but we were able to find a better rapport with each other, both being problem gamblers and speaking mainly to problem gamblers, and. So in doing that, you know, we we, we, were, we were slow going. We weren't doing the amount of podcasts we're doing now. Um, and we argue all the time off the air. We, we've sort of leveled each other out now. And we sort of see when someone's going to argue with the other. We sort of see where that goes. But it's been a really great relationship. And I think it's really made our podcast even better than we ever could have hoped at this point. And Jeff himself has started private meetings. And through which I've met so many different people in recovery, um, some of which I'm sure you guys are familiar with, the people who share these meetings with him. And so it's just been this amazing journey to where we are now uh, with the podcast, which is now I've interviewed... We interviewed a judge, Judge Moss, the gambling court in Las Vegas. We've interviewed, uh, you know, the uh, people who study gambling addiction, which I never thought was possible. I've interviewed different councils from around the country. So it's just been really an amazing process. And only in this past... I don't know, six months since COVID started, we, we introduced uh, meetings into the podcast where we host meetings on the podcast. Everyone involved is aware, but we just thought it would help people who have never been to a meeting to hear one. And then it was helping us just to have one. And so that's been continuing. Uh, and then through that, we've just I've met so many wonderful people, yourselves included, that I've realized this is really cool community that I never thought I'd be a part of. And I'm so happy and honored to be a part of
0: spot on about that cool community brian it's amazing isn't it the amount of people i've met doing this and we've only been doing it for a short time so far i mean your podcast's amazing and what is it you've done about 150 episodes so far something like that and you know i've listened to a, a good few of them but i haven't got to 150 yet mate um what i'd like to just check out though is um of those 150 is there anything that stands out maybe a couple that are that really interested you that were you know real ones you really like
4: yeah absolutely um there's there's a three-part episode with John, and John was a gambler, and he ended up robbing banks. And the reason those are great is because John came back on a week or two ago to talk about the uh, work he is doing now with kids and talking about addiction. So he has just done this complete 180 in his life. I mean, he went from robbing banks and serving time in prison to now working with kids and teaching them about addiction, and the guy is just incredible in this line of work. And the same goes for uh, Danielle and Tiffany, both of them. We interviewed them on the podcast, telling their story, and they ended up coming on and doing a six-part series, uh, Gambling at the Girls. And so this was incredible because I do think that it's important. I mean, look at us. We're three white guys. It's important that other voices are heard in this community. And I know we're all trying to get more people on these podcasts from different cultures, different backgrounds, but, you know. There was definitely a shortage of, of, of female voices in this world. And sometimes it's hard for a female to walk into a, a meeting when it's dominated by males. It, that's just a hard environment to walk into. And so having them on and then them doing this series of podcasts was uh, great for us. So I really appreciated all those. And we've talked to several people over in the UK. Um, early on, I talked to a gentleman. You guys probably know him. But at this point, uh, he, his son had committed suicide as a result, and this was very early when I started the podcast, so I wasn't quite sure how to talk to somebody like that, but it was just great for him to come on and, and share that story because i have been watching him on Twitter. Um, ben Jones, that story, we interviewed him, that guy, and, you know, again, a, just a crappy situation put on by operators, and now he's serving time, and we wish him well, but there's a whole bunch. I can't name them all, and I know you only asked for a few, but it, the people, again, that we get to meet and the stories we get to share, and I think that's the most important thing is we share all these stories so that way people will listen and hear it and realize, oh, I can, okay, there's there's ways out of this. I can talk about it. I can do it. And my hope is that everyone starts a blog and a podcast and writes and talks about it because that's what helps me. Uh, communicating helps me not gamble anymore. You know, free time is the enemy to gambling. So,
2: yeah, 100% there, yeah, Brian. And, uh, yeah, obviously, Ben uh, we wish him all, all the best. It's not too long now. He's only got a few months left of his of his sentence. And uh, just just like you were saying, really, diversity is equally as important to to ourselves as it is to is to yourself. Now, before we grab some social links from you and details of the the podcast, I guess we should um, start to wrap up at least by touching upon the current climate across the pond. Can you describe to our listeners how things are shaping up? As it appears, the gambling market really is, is, is really starting to open up in America. And uh, what's your thoughts and sentiments towards
4: that? Uh, well, so it's different state to state, right? There's not a blanket across the United States. There's no federal mandate on it. Um, it's different state to state. And since the uh, PASPO was overturned by the Supreme Court in 2018, each it's up to each state now if they want to ratify and create laws for sports gambling, which many have, I mean, State governments see dollar signs and revenue and they decide, well, we'll bring in gambling. We'll bring in more gambling. And, uh, you know, my my old home state of Michigan did it. And I just think I keep trying not to be this broad about it, but I just think it's going to be a disaster because the amount of gambling that is coming in right now, I, I, I would equivocate it to what we, you know, the UK and Australia went through with betting shops on every corner. I know you guys love football over there but we have four major sports that people love, plus football and people love to gamble on sports. And so we already love sports and now you're gonna throw gambling on top of it. And families in their own right always do squares or have little bets on the side. And now you're gonna say that on my phone when I'm sitting at Thanksgiving dinner, I can place bets. I I just think that there's not enough treatment available. There's not enough money put forth by the states. There's no money put forth by the federal government for treatment prevention of gambling addiction in the United States. And the problem again, different state to state, uh, we had Brianna on from uh, Brianna on from EPIC yesterday, uh, or a podcast that we put up today actually, and she was talking about how there's 25 different 800 numbers to call. And so it's just confusing to get help in many areas. Not every state is great about it. There are a few states that are good, but overall it's, it's not a great system and they just keep pushing more gambling.
2: Yeah. And that's the thing over in America, obviously, it's such a a huge country. I guess it's really can be quite difficult um, in sort of getting something quite unison together. And I'm really pleased that you said football as opposed to soccer. Uh, That, uh, you know, well done there. Um, As a secondary question to that, Brian, I really just wanted to, I mean, you sort of touched upon it there. Do you think that this means that we'll see a lot more U.S. citizens reaching out for gambling addiction treatment? And uh, do you think that, you know, hopefully uh, later on down the road uh, do you think that this uh, will become uh, gambling addiction will become less of a stigmatized topic over there
4: i mean i hope everybody reaches out i hope everybody can file bankruptcy if they need to i hope everybody can get free sessions of therapy if they need to a lot of people what i've learned is a lot of people don't know that that's available a lot of people just you know suffer in silence the hidden an addiction and so i i hope they come out of the woodwork obviously i think more people will reach out more because just with more gambling comes more problem gambling and more gambling disorder. Uh, that's just the way it goes. Whether or not it creates a need for more laws or more regulation or states giving more money to help, I, I don't know. I Not now, not with COVID and state budgets being under. I just think it's... I wish, I wish. But that's why, you know, here we are. We're talking about it. We're the guys who are affected by this. And we have to come out and do a podcast and talk about it because there's nobody in the government talking about it.
0: Absolutely, Brian. And it's so important for everybody who needs help to be able to reach out and get it. Um, But as you said earlier, if that help isn't available elsewhere, at least there's guys like us, guys and girls on the airwaves. We're happy to talk about this stuff. We've been through these problems before and share that. So let's hope people listen to us and find out there is a way. There is a way out. And I guess the other thing is, you know, going forward, hopefully there'll be more prevention as well, preventative measures, and that might lead on to, um, into education. And we'll be talking to Epic shortly. um, And, you know, that's part of their sector. That's what they'll be working over in the States. Thanks for coming on and chatting to us today, Brian. We really do appreciate it. Lastly, would it be possible to inform our listeners of where they can listen to yourself and Jeff and any websites and social links
4: that you might want to share? Uh sure. You can uh, find. I mean, you can find our podcast wherever you get podcasts from, right? Apple, Stitcher, Google, any of that. Just Google all in the Addicted Gamblers podcast, and you'll find it. Uh, I'm a, my website's currently under construction, sadly enough. I'm a one man band in that regard, so it's taken me more time to redo it. But you can find me on Twitter at Brian Two. You can email me Lee at Gmail dot com. Uh, you know, and feel free to email me and. Come on our podcast and tell us your story. I know Chris is going to join us soon, and we're going to get Ryan eventually.
0: And that might become one of your favorite out of 151-ish. ish yeah. <laughs>
4: uh,
2: and, and, and then obviously when I do come on, obviously that will eclipse uh, the one with Chris. But uh, yeah, now, absolutely. Everyone, definitely go check out Ryan and Jess podcast. The All In podcast uh, is available on basically every platform that we're on as well. We're not rivals, we're friends. Um, So really, really thank you, uh, Brian, for coming on today. And um, shortly, we're going to go from one guest to another. After this short interlude, we'll be being joined by Paul Buck from Epic Risk Management. Thank you very much. We've now been joined by our final guest of this stateside special. Now, this one's a bit of an unusual one in a sense that he's not an American citizen. In fact, our final guest is from where the late, great Sir Tom Finney honed his footballing prowess and where chips and gravy are part of the staple diet. It's the Lancashire town of Preston. Welcome, Mr. Paul Buck. It's great to finally
1: have you on the pod, I should say. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks, Chris. Good to be on here and thanks for the... um thanks for the link to tom finney massive preston north end fan i think he was our last decent player so uh so thank you for for that and and congratulations ryan on 200 days of recovery of your own today i saw that on on social media earlier so uh you know perfect mate really good making uh making a massive contribution as well so uh well done mate
2: appreciate that i appreciate that when this goes out it'll be 214 days i i think it will I, th- I think this is going out in two weeks time from when we're recording it i guess we should probably start off with a little bit of an intro uh, by all accounts i suspect many of our listeners will already know who you are um however there will be some in the states that may not and i guess They'd like to know the significance of you being with us here today on what is essentially an American special.
1: Yeah, it, it feels strange coming on your first the, the first pod with you being around America, but uh, there is obviously a reason for that. So, so yeah, I mean, I'm the founder and CEO of a of a company called Epic Risk Management. Uh, we're an independent gambling harm minimization consultancy. We work across the six sectors where most harm, statistically and evidentially, exists from gambling. So they would be. Financial services, education of kids age fourteen plus the armed forces, criminal justice, uh, pretty extensively across elite sport, and we do work um, with certain partners in the gambling industry who uh, have, have shown that they 're committed to driving up standards, uh, certainly not all of them um, and we now work in sixteen countries uh, we provide education, awareness, consultancy, and training, and america is is very certainly um, you know the 16th of those countries, but we see it being a very, very big move for us because I think there's a big need for for what we do over there. So, um, so yeah, and I must I must add at this point as well, I am also a recovered pathological gambler. Um, so I transacted nearly five million pounds across 93 accounts between 2001 and 2011 whilst working as a finance professional. Um, and there were some pretty big rock bottoms that came off the bottom of that. So that's very much the motivation of what myself and my team do let's try and stop people getting to that same position as, uh, as we did. Uh, and there's 10, 10 people in our, in our company who have those lived experience of gambling addiction.
0: Yeah, we all agree, Paul, it's really important to have that lived experience. And I know that you guys have been doing great stuff in the UK and across the other countries you've been working in, and now over in the States, of course. And I guess the big question is, uh, why are Epic moving into the States right now? Um, was there a strategical thought process behind that?
1: No, absolutely, and really, it's an. I think it's a need based thought process. So, as you said, until last year, two thousand and nineteen, we'd worked pretty exclusively across the UK and Europe, um, across all those sectors we've just talked about, and and obviously the USA is a is a nascent but but very fast growing market. So, I think there's around twenty states now currently legalized. It always used to be two. It used to be New Jersey and Nevada. Now we're at 20 and we know that's going to go up to about 48 of the 50 within the next two or three years. So it's very, very fast growing, uh, which, which which presents its own dangers as well as opportunities, in our opinion. So we think there's an opportunity to go to the US, share some of the work that we've done in other countries, uh, dare I say try to avoid help them avoid some of the mistakes that the UK made and that Europe have made, uh, both in terms of lack of education, regulation, advertisement, promotional offers, um, and we see all the same need in the big six sectors in the US as we did in the UK and Europe. So it's kind of using our experience and that lived experience as well to try and help them, um, I guess, create a sustainable industry rather than one which uh, is fraught with danger, which is is currently looking like it's going to be.
2: That sounds um, really positive, Paul. And we've seen over here in the UK, the work that Epic has done in terms of raising awareness of gambling harms from a educational side of things. And I guess the key word would be, as we've touched upon, is prevention to stop people going through what we've all gone through, including, as you've alluded to again, Paul, yourself, which, by the way, um, for people that are listening to this is a story in itself. And I'd uh, encourage Paul, to write a book about it. Now, having liaised with some gambling addicts in recovery from over in the United States myself, it seems evidence, uh, evident that they are all concerned about the, the market opening up over there and they believe there's going to be big, big problems. Is that a concern that you personally share?
1: Yes, I do, if I'm being totally honest. Um, I think there's um, a lack of education around the real problems that gambling can um, can present. I think at the moment what I'm seeing and what I've seen over the last 12 months is that there's a real jostling for position. There's a real jostling for revenue, for partnerships, for, for sponsorship, for, for, for things like that over there. But there is very, very little understanding or, or certainly acceptance of some of the harms that gambling can cause. Um, so for instance, you know, when I had my first conversation around problem gambling or gambling problems uh, last year, It's very clear, and this has been sort of uh, strengthened further, that they see gambling problems as kind of sports betting integrity. So it's not the bankruptcies or the relationship breakdowns or the mental health problems or the criminal convictions or the suicides. It's very much a player influencing a result. So that's that's, that's everything. So when we went forward and said we were going to provide education, awareness, consultancy around gambling and, and gambling harm, they very much said, oh, we already deal with sports betting integrity you know, sort of thing. So so there, there is really a lack of understanding out over there. And I don't know if that's come across in your other guests, your American guests, but it, that's worrying to me because what I don't want there to be is in two years to three years' time, there's suddenly be a raft of suicides or a raft of um, criminal convictions, people going to prison, um, you know, bankruptcies, relationship breakdowns and stuff. We don't want all that to happen in two or three years' time and then everyone start from scratch like maybe has happened in other countries. So that is really our motivation to accelerate our move over into America. If we can sort of start changing that narrative and start educating and raising awareness of those harms earlier, uh, our hope is that that will sort of uh, reduce the levels later on. But but it's going to be a big job. You know, you're talking 50 states all at least the size of the UK. And, you know, we've seen what a big job it's been in the UK. Um, So it's going to be a big, big job. and It's not something Epic will be able to do alone. But I'd like to think we can go and add our experience and, and certainly, you know, add to that voice and, and and create some good collaborations to get that message out there.
0: It's really interesting, Paul, when you talk about the sports integrity side of it. And that's all that um, they were thinking about when you went over there and spoke about the kind of problem gambling and the gambling harm side of things. And I mean, there obviously has been suggestions from both sides of the Atlantic that the United States are a good few years behind the UK in terms of awareness around Uh, gambling harms on all fronts as you just alluded to um, including the education side of things and do you think that the U.S. has or you do think the U.S. has some catching up to do from what you've said but is it possible I suppose is it possible how is it possible you've just said there are you know all these states it's a lot bigger than the UK you know how do you plan on getting it done
1: I I, I think it is possible I think I think let's you know if you look at it you know the USA has got the biggest opportunity of anywhere in the world to have from day one almost, uh, it's not quite day one, but from an early point, having a sustainable and successful gambling industry uh, that acknowledges the harms, that has good regulation, that has good education um, and, and, and really takes those seriously from day one. Um, I think the problem is that we're not seeing any of that yet. You know, it's very much, as I said, it's about commerciality, it's about revenue, it's about um, jostling for position at the moment and partnerships, and and I think you know there's only two or three uh, operators who are even really talking about this at the moment, and I think it's really really important. But that, that changes, but that, that narrative changes. So there's a lot of organisations like the American Gaming Organization, the NCPG. Um, there's a lot of different acronyms uh, over in, in in the USA who all do slightly different things with different uh, populations. Uh, et cetera. But I think it's really important that everyone collaborates together, acknowledges that gambling can, can can cause harm and has a very unified approach. Because if they don't, then the the you know, whilst it's a massive opportunity for a sustainable industry and a successful industry, it's also a massive uh, danger to create an awful lot of harm on a scale which no other has probably ever suffered before.
2: Yeah, definitely uh, agree with that, Paul. Obviously, um, <clears throat> there is a lot of lessons that can be learned, as you said earlier on, from the UK side of things. And I guess that uh, they, they do have to take from a very early stage that um, you know a lot of harm can be caused from gambling and sometimes i think that can get a bit mixed up when it comes to the uh, business approach um, and i just say it's a, a very commercialized and uh, so yeah no 100% there now can you tell us a little bit more about your plans for the us market and the collaborations that you have in place i know you've got some exciting things going on over there um from a from a discussion that we had a number of weeks ago and uh, also about the team that you've assembled to undertake the work that you're going to be doing over in the state
1: yeah we had a decision to make of what do we want to do over there you know as i said it's a massive massive country we're a, we're a you know let's face it a fairly small uk consultancy of 25 people now you know so um you know we had to make decisions what do we want to do and, and go over and do first uh, and make a difference and we have the, we've had the ability to go over um, and work within professional or elite sport major league sport as they call it over there and ncaa division one universities so we've partnered up with the GBC Foundation US, which is a not-for-profit um, over there, which is, um, is leading in responsible gambling. I think it's fair to say, but they're, they're not up against much at the moment, but they're certainly you know, putting that at the heart of it. And really the, the idea is we will work with the six major leagues. So you've got the NFL, NBA, uh, National Hockey League, uh, Major League Baseball, um MLS soccer and the NCAA which is the big unis over there which is which which are incredibly big you know the Michigans of this world they're huge and we will go and we will raise awareness and education that way and the reason we went for for that in the first place was that sport is an incredible um uh, message spreader if you like you know and and if, if we can get them to grasp the nettle and we can get them to sort of send out some real personal messages about they could they, they still call it responsible gaming or responsible gambling. I'm not a big fan of that phrase, but but if they can sort of get something out there around the gambling related harms, and that will reach a massive audience very quickly. So that's certainly going to be a big focus for the next 12 to, to 18 months and beyond. Uh, we're also doing quite a lot of stuff around policy and legislation, and as states legalise, trying to um, really encourage that, 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 that budgets are put in place to, to help with gambling-related harms. Because at the moment, it's a very state-by-state approach. Some states are giving literally nothing, which is incredibly worrying. Um, some states are giving something, something. Some states, like Massachusetts, are giving quite a lot. Um, but also with COVID, it's quite interesting that the first thing that's been cut with these um uh, with the effects on the gambling industry are the are the are the um you know the funds for gambling related harm so we're trying to get involved with that in terms of the team we've we've raised over there we've we're going to use a couple of the pro sports guys we've got in the epic team in the u k in the first instance I think there's a bit of a novelty factor there in terms of getting them over and sharing the u k story but ultimately we're also building an American team, so the Americans seem to like to work with Americans you know they're a very proud loyal Company, so we've got um, a lady called Brianna Dora who has come from the National Council on Problem Gambling, their legislative director. She's going to head up our um, strategic and, and and policy work over there. Um, we're also working in building our associate base. So we've got a couple of people who've worked who've, who've played in the NHL and the NBA, um, and we've got um, four or five other people who are very close to sort of joining the team over there. So there will be education and awareness. There will be consultancy, but we're also going to work very much in the policy and standards uh, space as well to to, to try and drive that forward.
0: It just sounds really, really exciting, Paul, and uh, what an opportunity you have. And so I guess our last question revolves around just how much you're relishing the opportunity to go into America and, you know, the opportunity to make things happen. Um, We're talking about a country that's five times the population of the United Kingdom with a seemingly endless opportunity to do what you do. So, um yeah it just sounds like something which is incredibly exciting
1: yeah it's it's something that we are incredibly excited about we see it as a huge opportunity um not just commercially and 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 as a business but also you know a massive opportunity to set standards that that, that should lead the world really um you know there have been mistakes in other countries which we we've, we've all been involved in and, and some of us have suffered from i guess So this is a chance to really go and make a real difference. You know, Epic has always been a very socially driven business. Um, We've always been very proud of of, of the the social impact that we make and measure. Uh, And this is a chance to do it on a whole new scale. And, you know, for me, you know, when I was when I was setting this up in 2013 uh, in a very unusual location, um, it was very much, you know, I want to stop people getting to to this position where I was. Um, and if we can do that on the scale that we think we can in America and, and like we believe that we've helped to um, to do in the UK and Europe, then, then, then that's the thing that gives me the buzz. That's the thing that gives me the excitement. Uh, you know, far more than gambling ever used to. Uh, and I'm sure you two will, 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 will vouch for that as well. You know, that was quite a depressing thing in the end. Uh, but, you know, saving lives, helping to mitigate harm helping to reduce harm, helping to educate kids, sportsmen, those people in those different high-risk populations. That's that's what what we're aiming to do. And, of course, having a country the size of the USA, you've got the chance to do that on a much bigger scale. 100%, 100% Paul uh,
2: definitely agree with that uh, we love working in this particular space and and raising awareness slightly perhaps slightly obviously in a in a much smaller scale than than what you are but I'm sure obviously epic will go over there and certainly uh, hit the ground running and make a make a statement now unfortunately Paul it's pretty much all we've got time for however it has been a, a pleasure having you on absolutely top man and I mean it when I say about getting your book out um, can we expect to see that
1: sometime I, I very much doubt it, Ryan. Um, it's not really what what I'm in it for, if you like. I and mean, that's nothing against you know. I've i I've, I've read some absolutely unbelievably good books from from people who've had gambling uh, issues in the past. So Justin Lark and Tony O'Reilly is a very good friend of, of of mine and ours and stuff and and Kevin Swaddle and others. Um, so I don't think that um, the Paul book book will be coming out anytime <laughs> soon um maybe the last chapter isn't written yet but you know as i said my, my heart in this is to sort of prevent harm and, and, and so on and good luck to those who want to go and write a book and want to be in the news a lot and stuff like that but for me i prefer to just get out there and get stuff done and concentrate on that for now and you know if that comes later on and people are interested in reading it then fine but it's certainly not in the plans
3: at the moment
2: uh, brilliant uh well apologies for putting you on the spot there but it's been uh... <laughs> and a huge thanks um, uh, to, to yourself, and a massive thanks to our earlier guests Jake and Brian in uh, enabling us to, to carry out this stateside special. It's been thoroughly enjoyable, and uh, we'll be back, uh, same place, same time, same, same, same everything next week. Tata for now.
0: You've been listening to the All Bets Are Off podcast. To find out more about the creators of the pod, then please visit our website, uk. And don't forget to give us a follow on Twitter at allbetsoff underscore and share this podcast with others. Until next time, stay safe and remain gamble-free.
3: Thank you for listening.